Support for WPR comes from Explore Monroe County. From the Elroy Sparta Bicycle Trail to the Warren's Cranberry Festival featuring artist booths and cranberry marsh tours. More at exploremonroecounty.org. More than you know. Support for WPR comes from Analog Ice Cream and Coffee. Offering handcrafted cookies, coffees, and Wisconsin ice cream in the heart of Sister Bay. More information is available on Facebook and Instagram at Analog SB. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark here with family doc Zorba Pastor, talking with you about what's new in healthy living, sharing some down-to-earth advice and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for the good doc, the number to call is 800-462-7413. And along with your calls, we have some topics to talk about, Zorba. Yeah, we're going to talk about COVID and how COVID-19 may change the brain. Some interesting research out of the UK that looks at sort of long-term COVID things that affect all of us. Well, many of us, certainly. Mm -hmm. And then anti-inflammatory drugs, things like ibuprofen for back pain, are they good for you in the long run? So provocative research that shows that taking them might actually alter your back pain over the years. Mm. I'm not sure what I think about this, but I'm certainly going to present it to you guys so you can think about it. And what's our recipe today? It's a burger. It's ginger sesame burgers with slaw. We'll talk about what to use in the burgers, actually the burgers themselves, but the seasoning in the burger is dynamite. And I know you like burgers, right? I, I do. Yeah, you do like burgers. My Any mouth is watering. Is watering. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> Let's get to the phones now, Zorba. 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. Our first caller joins us now, Zorba, a listener in St. Mary's, Georgia. Hi. Hi. How can we help? So my question for you today would be the neurological effects on adolescents consuming um, natural and artificial food colors in our processed foods and the effects that they can have on our children. Big issue, big issue, and big question on it. So do you have children? I assume I assume you have children. Yes. I, figured, I have a one-year-old daughter. I figured there was an interest involved. Congratulations. What's she doing these Thank days? You. She must be so cute. She is. She's. Uh, we're teaching her how to swim. She plays in the garden. Uh, a lot of things that, you know, kids need to be doing. Yeah. You know, uh, the thing about having good food for your children is the best food is the food that you make for your children because then you know what goes in it. So it's not just food coloring that's a question. And, you know, the FDA has called these generally recognized as safe. That's what they call it. They don't say they're safe. They say they're generally recognized as safe, means nobody has brought it up. Now, when I was a kid, I used to get these hot dogs. They were bright red hot dogs. They were good. They were fabulous. And they were filled with red dye number two. That's what it was. And I still remember, you know, my mother would boil the hot dogs and there'd be red dye in the water itself in the hot dog until the feds took it off the market because they caused, lo and behold, it caused cancer. And I would eat those hot dogs as a kid all the time. And I remember the kosher hot dogs in Chicago had it, the Oscar Mayer hot dogs. I don't remember if they had it or not, but a, a lot of that stuff is basically, it's not good for us. So the answer is we don't know. And if we don't know, you know, obviously your answer as a parent is what are you going to do for your child? So how, tell me what you do for your child in terms of feeding your, your daughter. A good 90% of the food mm-hmm. um, that I feed her is all vegetables, meats, uh, fruits, stuff that we make ourselves. Right. And it's right. not produced food. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that we do worry about is like uh, the snacks like on the road or right. when we go to the zoo. Right. Um, or even then like kids' drinks. Right. Are, are filled with like Hawaiian Hawaiian sea punch has yellow right. and red in it. Right, right. right. Um, we we've kind of conducted our own experiment in a way mm-hmm. where we could feed her these certain items and see how she reacts. And we've seen that 
negative effects. Uh-huh. Well, of course, well, first of all, the items that are prepackaged usually, if they're snacks, they either have salt in them, sugar in them, dye in them to make them pretty, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, they're all Twinkie variants. That's what I kind of think of them. Because, you know, you look at the package and it's filled with things. If you're buying a juice box, you want to make sure it says pure juice. Look at the box and make sure that's what you're feeding her with the juice box. You know, I, you know, I have a feeling we have uh, my wife and I, Penny, had four wonderful children. Perfect children never gave us an ounce of problems. <laughs> right. You know, but anyway, we were we try to be as good as we can without being totally sort of crazy about it. And like you said, when you're on the road, there are only so many things you can do. So my thought is, in advance, shop to make sure you have the right things, such as juice boxes that you purchase. So when you're not going to a convenience store on the road, you have to buy what's there. On the other hand, sometimes you just have to do it. Also, the kids, I mean, it's a one-year-old, but eventually they're going to be with other parents with their friends, and they're not going to necessarily pay the same attention to food as your kid. It's not just the color. It's all the other stuff that makes us want to eat it. And it's all the stuff that they put in there. And when you read it, if it's got more than five ingredients, you know, as Michael Pollan said, you can consider that to be fake food. I mean, he's got a really good point. And it's not that five is a magic number. He just had a slogan that reminded us to read what's on the packaging. So, yeah, you've noticed for your daughter it makes a difference. And the answer, it it probably does make a difference. So 90%, I think you're hitting it out of the park when you're doing that. Yep. I want to tell you one more thing. One of the things that we did with our kids is when we made them food we wanted to eat, we got ice cube trays when they were younger. We would take the food we wanted to eat, we'd put them in ice cube trays, and we'd freeze it. So then we wanted to feed them something. We took it out of the ice cube tray, you know, warmed it up, and that basically, we had a meal that was there, and we didn't have to go through the process every single time. So we figured out efficient ways to make good food for our kids that we could give them most of the time. Right. When she was an infant, um, we didn't do any of the um, store-bought baby food. We mm-hmm. made it all, all, all ourselves. Great, great. And, oh, how, yep. and, and it wasn't that difficult, was it? It was just sort of thinking no, about it things. No, um, all, all we needed was a blender. That's it. You got it. You got cook, it. Cook the potatoes, cook the veggies, put right. them in a blender, and it, right. it makes right. a nice, right. yummy food for them. Absolutely. You know, so you bring up, I think, an extremely important point about parenting. So you're making food for your child at one year of age, which means you're going to make food for your child when they're five, which means you're going to give them good food when they're 10, and they're good food when they're 15 and 20, and they are less likely to be obese and more likely to eat well when they're older because you are not only parenting them, you are mentoring them for good eating. And so what you're doing now is really going to make a huge difference when they're older and when they're facing all of the issues that that teenagers face when they're eating. So I want to congratulate you on what you're doing. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for your call. Thanks for talking about it. It's a really important point to bring up. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That's terrible. I'm listening to two wonderful parents. (laughs) (laughs) I went wrong here. I went wrong there. I went wrong the other Anyway, 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 1-800-462-7413. So, Zorba, even mild COVID-19 may change the brain? Well, this is... This kind of is an important issue. You know, there's brain fog associated with COVID, and COVID does things that no other virus we've ever known of in our lifetime has done things. And there's really kind of an issue. This came out of England. It's a very interesting study. So what happened was a number of years ago, there's research in the U.K. called the U.K. Biobank, and it's a half a million volunteers that went through a variety of tests, including a number of volunteers who did MRI scans of the brain. And the biobank is looking for information on Alzheimer's, you know, other things that that go on throughout your life. And from 2014 to 2020, a number of these people had MRI imaging. Okay, MRI imaging of the brain. So then... They looked at 800 people who had MRI imaging. They looked at roughly 400 people who were infected with SARS, okay, infected with COVID-19. 
between March 2020 and April 2021. And then they looked at about 400 controls who were not infected with with SARS, and they imaged the brains again, okay? In other words, they had initial imaging from years before, then they imaged brains, some of them had SARS, some of them did not have SARS, so they got a control group. But those, by the way, who had COVID-19, 15 people were were quite sick, and 4% were actually hospitalized, and two received critical care. So they looked at all the brains. And here's what they found. The people who had SARS had a greater loss of gray matter in what's called the occipital frontal cortex and the parahippocampal region. These are areas that are associated with the sense of smell. So in other words, they could actually image this and say, yes, that's why the sense of smell changed. But also, not just in the olfactory areas of smell, there was a greater decrease in total brain volume And there was an increase in something called the cerebral spinal fluid. And when you look at these areas, these areas are involved with complex tasks that we do. And so the findings basically show that there was a significant difference in the people who had SARS in MRI scans. Now, what does this mean? In other words, because they had controls. It's a really good study and they have it measured. Mm -hmm. Well, what it means is that there may be more to COVID than we think. In other words, when we worry about COVID, and especially for people who are not immunized, and let's not forget that I think it's 35% of the population is still not immunized. I mean, a number of them are the anti-vaxxers, but the anti-vaxxers are probably one quarter of them. A number of them are just not immunized because they didn't go to the, they didn't go get immunized. You know, I mean, some people are lazy and slothful and they mm-hmm. just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It means there may be long-term problems that are with, with COVID that we don't know about. I mean, we don't know 10 years down the line, is it going to cause memory loss? 10 years down the line, is it going to cause Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia? But from this, this is frightening research that shows that COVID affects the brain that we can measure on an MRI scan. We don't know what effect that will have in the long run, but we do know that if you're not immunized, Get your shots. Yeah. You ought to get them now. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. 800 462 7413. That's 800 462 7413. See if we can help a listener in Azorba in El Paso, Texas. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, while exercising, I, I experienced a cut on my right uh, leg. And uh, so I went ahead and, oh, and cleaned it up, put some uh, antibiotic uh, cream. And then uh, a few days later, I noticed uh, that uh, my foot was really swollen as if, I, as if I had twisted my ankle or something. So, but it wasn't hurting, so I couldn't understand what was going on. So I decided to get online mm-hmm. uh, and uh, find out. And I came across this condition called cellulitis. Mm-hmm. And so I got worried and went to the ER and actually, yeah, they told me that somehow my skin there on my right leg has gotten infected. Mm-hmm. So they gave me uh, some antibiotic pills mm-hmm. uh, for like almost two weeks. I had mm-hmm. to take uh, like 40 of them mm-hmm. and uh, it started going down. But then when I started wearing my, my sneakers again, mm-hmm. And I would take them off, and then I would notice that the bottom of my of my my ankle basically was would get swollen. But then after I would take my shoe off, it will it will go down. So mm-hmm. so I don't know if it was just the uh, the infection that is still there, sure. and it's gonna just take a little while longer or what? Oh sure. So when was la- when did you finish your pills? How long ago was it? I just finished them uh, the end of last week. The end of last week. Okay, uh, a couple of things. Sometimes if it's red, hot, and swollen, then you need to, anyone, you know, those things, it's swollen a little bit, but if it's red and hot, then you may need a second course of antibiotics. Sometimes either you need a different antibiotic or you need the same antibiotic with, with the second course. You went to the emergency room, so it's going to be hard to get a refill of that, but Sometimes it also just takes a while for things like that to heal. So when you wear your sneakers, uh, you wear clean socks? Uh, many times I don't. 
but I've always worn that way. I know? would wear a sock for a while because the sock is then going to give some cushioning between your skin and the sneaker itself. And sometimes just that cushioning will give a chance will give it a chance to heal. But if it's not as red and not as painful, then I would just put on a sock so that you can give it a chance to heal a little more. It takes a while for swelling off and to go away when you've got a cellulitis. Okay. Okay. Is this up? Because, I mean, um, I have suffered cuts in the past, and it has never happened, so I don't know, maybe it's my age or something. No, it just it it just happens. Sometimes cuts just get more infected, and then they go in there. There is there is an age. How old, how old are you? 57. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's probably not much of an age issue. If you were as old as Tom back, you know, up in the 90s, <laughs> then, that would be a then that would be a different thing. Okay. <laughs> All right, put 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 your sock on your shoe. You wear a sock for a while. That may that may take care of. It. That's what I would do first. Okay, doctor. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Yes, you sir. take care. We appreciate that call, and not necessarily Zorba's response, but we appreciate <laughs> the call at eight hundred four six two seven four one three. A voicemail now, Zorba, from Jacksonville, Florida. I was wondering. If Dr. Zorba had any information on something I heard about baking soda for people who had moderate kidney disease. Baking soda actually is a base. I mean, that's what that's what baking soda is. So it's an alkaline base. Um, and for some people, it may be that changing the acid base of what you're actually eating can make a difference. That's kind of that's kind of where it comes from. But the body does a remarkable job of sort of regulating the pH of what's going on in the urine. So I haven't seen anything that shows that taking baking soda on a regular basis is actually going to work for uh, you know, for anyone with chronic kidney disease. Now, talking about that, let's talk about what does work for chronic kidney disease, cutting down on sodium. Sodium, your kidneys have to work a lot uh, if you have a lot of salt. And Americans get way too much salt. I mean, we should basically get a teaspoon of salt a day. And I can't remember chapter and verse how much we get, but it's way more than what we ordinarily get. So if you want to actually help chronic kidney disease, the real answer is to eat plentiful fruits and vegetables, which are loaded with sodium because, or rather loaded with potassium, because we need potassium and cutting down on salt. That makes a difference. But I don't think that baking soda is going to do much for chronic kidney disease at all. 800-462-7413 is our number. Before the break, Zorba, let's check in again with your favorite hand raisers, the grammar police. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Zorba. At first, we thought this email could use some dark, brooding music to accompany. Oh, I love it! But bum, then it uh, bum, occurred to bum. us. It occurred to us then that this listener could use some cheering up. So, Brad, play us some happy, uplifting music while I read this one. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Dear Dr. Zorba, Tom, and Carl, permit me to introduce myself. I am the dark overlord of the never world of the grammar police. Rarely do I leave my citadel devoted to proper grammar because I have an entire division of minions who are dedicated to monitoring you. However... So much of their time is now being consumed by having to surveil you and you alone. It is necessary that I intervene before a few remaining grammar police officers in this division abandon their posts, as you have caused so many others to do. On a recent show, I heard you say that a caller's medical issues were a self-serving prophecy. Contextually speaking, what you should have said was that they were a self-fulfilling prophecy. Based upon your cumulative offenses, I regret to inform you 
that the grammar police can no longer merely issue you verbal corrections. <laughs> Instead, you must now be sanctioned by repeating fourth grade English. P.S. Why can't you be more like Tom and Carl? Fourth grade. That was Mrs. Steiger. I mean, she was terrible. She made us outline sentences. She would correct my grammar, correct my mispronunciation. And when I pointed to a little rectangle above India, which turned out to be Nepal, I said, because we had to fill in the chart with the names with the names of, of various countries, I said, what's that rectangle? And she said, don't worry, it's not on the test. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Miss Steiger. <laughs> Do you want to join the ever-growing grammar police? Or go back to fourth grade. <laughs> Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at... Which they didn't have an email when I was in fourth grade. Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up. Maybe. More of your emails, Maybe. too. <laughs> We'll be cooking some tasty burgers. That's right. All that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from, from PRX. PRX, the public radio exchange. Very good. <laughs> Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. That number is 800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, ginger sesame burgers with slaw. That's right. That's right. Uh, you like burgers, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, ginger and sesame are really things that are often used in Chinese cooking. Pork would be the most common thing to use from a protein point of view. Uh, ground pork, which, mm -hmm. which I often use like in Chinese cooking. You could use ground beef. You could use ground turkey. Mm -hmm. Or you could use, as my neighbor had, ground elk. He brought back. Ground elk. He uh, is a hunter, and he gave me some ground elk to oh use, my. and I had a ground elk burger. It was it was delicious. But you could use anything, any any sort of ground protein that you would want to do that. But it's ginger sesame burgers with slaw. Mm -hmm. Okay, so start out with one and a half pounds of ground pork, ground turkey, or ground beef. Pound and a half of ground meat. Pork, that's right, ground meat. Two scallions, thinly sliced. Two scallions, thinly sliced. A tablespoonful of finely grated fresh ginger. One big tea, finely grated ginger. Uh, a large garlic clove minced. A large garlic clove minced. And if you love garlic, you could use a couple mm -hmm. of them. Uh, one and a half teaspoons of Asian sesame oil. Uh, kosher salt, freshly ground pepper, of course. Two cups of coleslaw mix. Now, you can make your own coleslaw mix, but frankly, at the store in the produce section, they have plastic bags of coleslaw mix. Use that. It's much. It's really easy. Two cups coleslaw mix. Two teaspoons of rice vinegar, very important, rice vinegar. Not regular vinegar. It's got to be rice vinegar. Two little tea, rice vinegar. And a teaspoon of soy sauce. One little tea, soy sauce. I highly recommend low-sodium soy sauce because the flavor is more robust, and the amount of sodium in there is between a third and a half as much. Okay, mm -hmm. let's make it. So light a grill or preheat a gas grill. Then while you're doing that and getting it nice and warm, in a large bowl, mix the protein with scallions, ginger, garlic, and a teaspoon of the sesame oil, very important, and two teaspoons of kosher salt. Kosher salt, not regular salt, will be better. And a half teaspoon of pepper, or if you are like my wife, you're going to add even more pepper than that. And form the meat into four three-quarter inch patties. And when you form it into patties, I think it's very important in the center of the top part of the patty, you put a little crater so it looks like a moon. Because when you're actually cooking the beef, if you put that crater in there, it won't puff up as much. So that's what I, mm -hmm. that's what I learned. Grill the burgers. Grill the burgers to taste. Sometimes you've got to make sure how you cook it. I always take a thermometer to make sure my burgers, I think beef has to be, I believe it's at 185. I always look it up. So don't quote me chapter and verse. I always look it up because I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Turning once until it's cooked through about roughly eight minutes probably depends on how you have to have like eight minutes uh, on there. It might be 10 minutes or 12 minutes, but you want to make sure the burger is totally cooked through so you don't run the risk of E. coli. Meanwhile, while you're doing that, in a medium bowl, toss the coleslaw mix, 
with the rice vinegar, soy sauce, and a remaining half teaspoon of sesame oil. Season it with some salt and pepper. Put the burgers on the bun, top with the slaw, and serve. And my mouth is watering. I want burgers. I want burgers. <laughs> I mean, when I say some of these things, I think about how good they are. Anyway, um, uh, do you think people will want to have a copy of this recipe? Um, I'm sure they will. You know, I don't think we keep track of how many people get these recipes, but I know some of them are more popular than others, and I think this will be a popular one. So go to ZorbaPastor.org, ZorbaPastor.org, or, of course, you can find us through Facebook. 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, here's a listener with us in El Paso, Texas. Hi. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. How can we help? Uh, I wanted to ask Dr. Zorba if he was familiar with uh, this syndrome that I happen to pick up or mm-hmm. develop. It's called CHS, and it stands for cannabinoid hypersynosis syndrome. Tell me a little bit about it. I'm not familiar with it. Well, sir, uh, I thought I was getting uh, dehydrated because mm-hmm. I'm a bicyclist, and mm-hmm. I, I do ride my bike all mm-hmm. the time. And mm-hmm. I went to the hospital because I was feeling uh, unbalanced, mm-hmm. and I could feel a little bit like uh, the room was spinning. Mm-hmm. Or when I would stop walking, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't feel like I was completely stopped. Mm-hmm. And then I developed something where I was getting these clammy hands, like my palms of my hands were wet and sweaty, and it wouldn't last too long. It would last maybe uh, 35, 45 minutes sometimes, and then it would go away. And then I would get nauseated, and, you know, I do smoke uh, cannabis, Mm -hmm. and and one of the symptoms, uh, when you're nauseated, you can smoke a little bit, and it goes away. So I would do that. And uh, apparently I was kind of chasing my own tail. Oh, so you were taking the cannabis in order to get rid of the nausea. But in fact, the cannabis, because cannabis has been shown for some people to actually induce nausea. Well, it would take care of my nausea Mm -hmm. in the past. But Mm -hmm. when I when I went to the hospital, they kind of misdiagnosed me. They they thought I was they thought I was. uh, suffering from uh, a lack of water and sure, they thought of I course. was dehydrated. Right. right. And uh, so I kind of, well, I just kind of felt better. They put me in a cool room, mm-hmm. a nice quiet mm-hmm. place, and I felt yeah. better. And so I left, but the symptoms didn't go away. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to a friend of mine and he told me about his his wife and he says, hey, maybe you got CHS, Ronnie. And I go, well, uh, what is that? And then I looked it up and sure enough, all of the symptoms are exactly like being dehydrated. Right, right. I didn't realize that that actually was the name of it, but we know cannabis has some interesting properties. Unfortunately, because the feds label it like heroin and crack cocaine, we actually can't do studies about it. But cannabis, for some people, helps with nausea, but for others, it produces something called hyperemesis, where they vomit. If you're a regular cannabis user, you can vomit throughout the day, and it's and it's one of the, uh, you know, one of the side effects. I, I want to tell you something about why this may be part of the effect of the GI tract. So a number of years ago, we did a study, a study for Pfizer. I used to do clinical research, you know, full disclosure, clinical research for Pfizer, Merck, uh, uh, Sanofi Aventis, and other companies. And I did a part of my regular regular clinical practice. And we did a drug that was a cannabinoid receptor blocker. In other words, it actually blocked the effects of cannabis. And we had people who lost up to 50 pounds on the study. Major good drug, but that had a side effect. And the side effect was they had suicidal thoughts. So none of those three drugs came on the market. No, There was no completed suicide anyone could, could look at, but the reality was if you have suicidal thoughts, forget it. In other words, it changed them mentally. So people who use cannabis on a regular basis, right, can have nausea. And you're right, I'm not surprised that in the ER they would miss it because I don't think it's really well known even among emergency room physicians. And Dr. Azorba, another thing is, is I've been smoking since the 70s, mm-hmm. and I'm 67 years old. Uh-huh. And and I'm not a, one of those crazy wild guys. Mm-hmm. I just like to smoke a little bit in the evenings or 
when I was getting stressed out. I'm an sure. electronics technician, mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, I have to fix stuff. It was kind of hard, so I just relax and smoke a little bit. Right. But I right. did smoke for a long time, right. and it finally caught up to me. So, uh, what are you doing now? Well, sir, I I quit completely. Mm-hmm. I, I I gave up smoking for Lent. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw results immediately. Immediately. I mean, immediately. Another week went by, and the clammy feeling went away. Uh-huh. And and I hadn't noticed, but I had been losing weight mm-hmm. for a few months, maybe six months, because every time I'd go see the doctor, I was a pound or two right. lighter. Right, but, right, right. But right. I ride a bicycle, so I kind of contributed to that. But since I quit over 40 days ago, uh, I've already gained back a few pounds. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm not surprised about that. So now I've got to ask you a question. So you haven't been free of cannabis since the '70s. How are you doing mentally, not emotionally, just mentally and thinking? Is there any difference, or or not any different? Well, uh, yeah, I I, I I I seem to have a clearer head mm-hmm. once I got over the the. Uh, the withdrawal symptoms, right. because that's right. kind of why I would always smoke. I mean, mm-hmm. I I didn't like that feeling of of, mm-hmm. of, of not being high, so right. I'd just go smoke a little bit, and mm-hmm. I'd be back on the groove right. again. But right, 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 right. Now that, now that I've uh, mm-hmm. overcome the, the withdrawal symptoms and I realize that, it, you know, in the back of my mind, I always knew it wasn't the best thing to be doing, but I am uh, clean now, and I, and I intend to stay clean. Uh, cannabis free and I don't consume alcohol either so I'm one of those guys that uh, I guess basically I was just a smoker but I'm not anymore very and, uh, interesting I'm, 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 I'm thankful for that very interesting you know inebriance of any sort that we use on a regular basis I think we always have to look at what's in our best interest in our body and the answer is our body is best with fresh fruits and vegetables regular exercise good clean air an environment that's free of pollution a whole bunch of other things and anything you take on a regular basis uh, is always not the best thing so the reality is the withdrawal was a very important issue because prior to this there was really no reason to do it because you wanted to keep that same level in your body. But I think the nausea part that you bring up, we should talk about, and I'm going to do some research on this and discuss this on a future show, because I hadn't really thought of it as a syndrome. And the fact is, it's now becoming more prominent because it's legal in so many other states. You know, exactly. So- That's why it's raising its ugly head now. Right. I think there are benefits for many people with cannabis, especially people with chronic pain and other things. But like any drug, there's the drug and there's the side effect of the drug. So even though it may be natural, one of the side effects of cannabis can be just what you had, which was, you know, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. So, well... Thank you for the call. Thanks for sharing yeah. that with us. What's your dog's name? Oh, what's yeah. What's, what, what's, your, what's your dog's name? My dog's name is Popa, P-O-P-A. What yeah. kind of a dog is it? Oh, she's kind of, she's a mix. Uh-huh. Uh, she's a 57 variety. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I rescued her, and who knows what she is. Oh, 57 varieties. I love it. So, Well, thank you. Thanks thank so you much for, for your Thanks for sharing that. Thank you, sir, Take for care. your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 800-462-7413 is our number. 800-462-7413. A voicemail now, Zorba, a listener in Spring Green. My question is about the latest knowledge about Lyme disease. Um, I, just got, I just got my second tick bite of the year. Um, I live sort of in tick central. And I've had plenty of experience since I moved here six years ago. Um, but I'm, I'm wanting to check in on the latest knowledge about what to do. For example, um, this tick bite I got this morning. There's a little piece of the tick in there. I can't get it out. Should I go get somebody to take it out? Or will it just naturally work its way out? Um, and I'm assuming that the two doxycillin right away within 72 hours is still sort of standard care, but um, let me know if not. And anything else that is helpful, that is um, more current understanding. Thank you. Lyme disease from Old Lyme, Connecticut. 
started about the time that I started medical school. Spread, we're in the middle of Lyme Central. That's exactly true in the Midwest, but it's continuing tick bites. It's spread by the head of the tick. So the goal is to get the tick out. And the way you get the tick out is you don't burn it with a cigarette. Shouldn't be smoking anyway. You don't burn it with a match because you might burn it with a match. You take a tweezer, you go into the and you pull it out. And you may pull out some skin with it too, which is just fine. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what you want to do. You just want to get a nice tweezer, pull it out, if you can't do it, you get your neighbor to do it. Walk over to your neighbor's house <laughs> say, hey, or walk down to somebody on the street and say, look at this ugly tick. Can you pull it out of me? The hard part is if it's on your butt and you can't see it or the inside. You know, I mean, there are ticks. Uh, they're just everywhere. So that's number one. The answer, uh, number two, is doxycycline, 200 milligrams within 72 hours will get rid of any, uh, any uh, Lyme disease that's in your body. If the tick is on less than 24 hours, you don't get Lyme. It's got to be on more than 24 hours. So if you go out in the woods, you know, and you see the tick and you know it's less than 24 hours, you just got to get it off the body and you're fine. But if it's within 72 hours more than 24, 72 or less, then you can take 200 milligrams of doxycycline once and you're done. If not, you've got to be on a full course of doxycycline, 200 milligrams twice daily for 10 to 14 days or another antibiotic to make sure that you don't ultimately get Lyme disease. That's the the best stuff. And That's interesting. So she's from Spring Green. By the way, do you know who used to live in Spring Green, the historical figure that lived there many, many years ago? No idea. Svetlana Stalin. Stalin's daughter <laughs> lived in Spring Green when she, when she actually escaped Russia back in the 60s. So she lived in Spring Green, Wisconsin. I don't even think Carl, our producer, knew that. I don't think I did either. Yes, Svetlana Stalin lived in Spring Green. It's really Hard to believe. I, th- I thought I'd fill you in on some trivia so you could pass that, that trivia test. On Zorba Pastor, on your health, all sorts <laughs> of right. interesting historical, information. Historical events. Before the break now, Zorba, time for the segment where an honest-to-pete doctor, that's you, squares off against the mighty Internet. We call it Google Doc. following email came to us from Joel in Ironwood, Michigan. Dr. Zorba, we read so much about avoiding touching things like doorknobs and handrails to avoid picking up germs, but what about the pocket change we exchange each day during purchases like food on drive throughs Who handled the change? I got the purchase and from where? Coins are metal like doorknobs. Think about where that change and the metal coins have been. Oh, very good point. First of all, why is anyone using change these days? Just use a card or we should be like Sweden <laughs> and get totally rid of, you know, totally rid of money in the first place, which is not going to happen. But you're right, actually. Pocket change and other things changes hands. You don't know where they are. And so if you're going to go through a drive through and get a burger in a drive through and get change, you should have a hand sanitizer. And after you handle the change and put it in your pocket or dump it in the middle of the car, put on the hand sanitizer. But you're right. That actually is a place where bacteria are. Bacteria you're smiling, Tom. Well, Why thanks, are you smiling? thanks a lot. I just need another thing to worry about. <laughs> That's right. Get your change. It's exactly one, one more reason to stay at home and order from the nets. That's right. Pocket change. Do and you by have... the way, the same that goes with money. I mean, paper money. It's not just the change. How about yeah, paper course, money? I mean, who knows where it's been? I mean, don't you think about it when you handle those dollar bills? You don't. I'm I mean, trying not to think about it. <laughs> Doing my best. Do you have a question for the good doc? He'll handle it. Just post oh, it on I our Facebook it. page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org or, of course, through Facebook. More of your calls coming up. Another interesting topic to talk about and more listener emails as well. All coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. That number again is 800 
462-7413 if you have a question for Zorba. But Zorba, before we get back to the phones, using anti-inflammatory drugs may prolong back pain? Well, it's kind of a, uh, you know, it's a, I think this is really a controversial study, but we want, to, we want to put it out there. So anti-inflammatory drugs specifically that we use generally, ibuprofen and naproxen, those are over the counter. And then there are a variety of other anti-inflammatory drugs like uh, Celebrex uh, and uh, Diclofenac. There are a whole bunch that are used, and they're commonly used for low back pain. Now, Tom, do you have back pain? No. No. Did you ever have back pain? I don't think so, no. So if you don't think so, you are unusual. I mean, I've had back pain on and off for years. They're probably the most common uh, symptom that people have, you know, musculoskeletal uh, symptom. And at any time, you know, researchers look at back pain. 25% of the adults in the U.S. said they had low back pain in the previous three to six months. Hmm. In other words, it's a really common thing. And anti-inflammatories are the way to go. I mean, we don't take aspirin anymore, right, because it has GI effects. Tylenol is a good drug, but it doesn't work really as much as, as ibuprofen and anti-inflammatories. So they were looking at whether or not it makes a difference. And low back pain often is due to inflammation. They're anti-inflammatories. And they looked at blood samples of people who had low back pain to see whether or not those who took anti-inflammatories, whether or not neutrophils, which are the white cells that are, we most commonly see in inflammation, was decreased in people who had low back pain, and lo and behold, they found that that may be a factor. And then they did some animal studies with mice. They gave mice anti-inflammatories, and then they looked at the neutrophils in mice. They didn't have low back pain. I mean, mice... Don't have a back pain. <laughs> or if they do, they don't complain. Yeah, right. I've never met a mouse that said, even Mickey Mouse never complains about low back pain. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes we go off on tangents here. <laughs> anyway, yeah. they looked at mice, gave them anti-inflammatories, and discovered, lo and behold, it affected their neutrophils. So the real question is whether or not anti-inflammatories are going to give you pain in the long run. McGill University looked at an analysis of half a million people in the UK that were taking anti-inflammatories for pain, and they found that two, uh, two to 10 years later, they were more likely to continue to have low back pain. So there's a chicken and egg thing here. Hmm. You know, the question is, do people who take anti-inflammatories, would they have more low back pain later on in life? Or are people who have significant low back pain who will have back pain later on in life the ones who take anti-inflammatories? There's no evidence of cause and effect. I still think they're the mainstay for pain and discomfort from low back pain. You certainly don't want to use opioids or narcotics. Mm -hmm. But I think the question is, use anti-inflammatories as little as possible because they always have effects and side effects. And this is a very important thing with any drug we take. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Let's see if we can help a listener now, Zorba, in Seymour, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. I'm calling because I have a problem with my big toe on my left foot. It swells up, goes down into the ball of it, and it keeps, it kind of heals, and then it comes back. I'm wondering what could I do to prevent that? So it swells up. What, what are you doing that's bringing it on? Do you know? Well, it started with an ingrown toenail, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was walking crooked mm -hmm. to protect the toe. Sure. And it kept rubbing and rubbing and mm -hmm. rubbing, and all of a sudden, I got this problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how long has it been going on? Oh, for about two months. Oh, for about two months. How's the ingrown toenail? Is that better? Oh, I got that solved. So you got that solved? Yeah. Is it? Does it go down at nighttime and go up during the daytime? Yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. What have you done for it so far? Well, I did go to the doctor, and they gave me some stuff that was quite sick and high to walk on. Mm -hmm. Well, that was impossible to walk on something in your shoe. They gave you a thing to walk on so you wouldn't be putting pressure on it. Yes. Uh -huh. I, I couldn't tolerate that. Uh -huh. So I, I've i just been soaking my foot and mm -hmm. caring for it like that. And well, soaking it is good. One of the things I would try is get a cotton ball, put a cotton ball between the great toe and the second toe, and tape it. 
tape it together, you know, with bandaging tape that you buy at the drugstore. And quite often that'll make a big difference. In other words, if you solidify that great toe with the next toe, often it takes pressure away from it. And the second toe will begin to take some of the walking, the gravity and the walking pressure, and it will allow that to heal. So I would try that if you didn't tolerate that. That's one thing you can do. The other thing you can do if that doesn't work is you go to the drugstore and you get a metatarsal pad. And a metatarsal pad fits in uh, in the bottom of the foot. It'll, it'll show you directions on where to put it. And then that'll also change the way you're walking on the metatarsals. The metatarsals are sort of the bones at the base of the toes. And that's another thing you can do. And you can do both of those together. But you've got to get pressure off the great toe when you're walking to get the great toe uh, to heal. So once again, tape it together to the second toe. Try that with or without the metatarsal pad. And that may do the trick. Okay. Okay. Thanks. You're welcome, and good luck. Yeah, we appreciate that call at 800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, let's pop open the Zorba Pastor on Your Health listener email inbox. We love when our listeners pop in to drop some knowledge or lend their expertise to the show. The following listener tip came up from Ivy in Cedar Grove, Wisconsin. Ivy writes, On today's program, you discussed asthma and allergies Mm -hmm. being connected to a premature heart attack. This begs the question, when is a heart attack not premature? Tom, I was waiting Mm -hmm. for you to raise that (laughs) question. That was your first your mistake. Post, that's right. Expect Got me it. to do that's anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mistake number one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because you're post mature. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Look, in we're your moving 80s. right along. That's right. Let's get I'm to the say, you know, say right. premature. Um, well, you know, there are some definitions, and it's actually, uh, there's actually a, a rather specific definition. And I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like men and women under the age of 50 or 55. And that that is considered uh, to be premature. In other words, heart disease is more common in their, in the 60s. But I can't remember exactly, is it men over f- less than 55 and women less than, I think it's men less than 50 and women less than 55. Mm-hmm. That's considered a premature heart attack. They bring up an important point. When is it premature? When is there a mature heart attack? But the issue is somebody with a younger risk of heart attack, it's a different issue. And I recently read an article that was published in the British Medical Journal that showed, looked at women under the age of 50 who had heart attacks. They were looking at risk factors, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, as you would expect. But depression appeared to be one of the risk factors. But anyway, that's a, a, a very good point. When is it now premature? Hmm. I hope I answered that question. Did I answer it, Tom? I, I, I mean, you're post-mature. I was, so. I was sort of dozing off, so I wasn't <laughs> paying too much attention. Before we head out, Zorba, let's do the segment where we feature what our wonderful listeners are writing on the Zorba Pastor on Your Health Facebook page. This is called Facebook Feedback. Facebook Feedback. Okay, Zorba, we have a bunch to cover, so let's jump right in. First up, Alexis in East Aurora, New York, asks, I would like to know where to find information on shots in the back for pain. I had shots in several months ago, but they are now wearing off. My doctor said I could get more shots, but I'm concerned about short and long-term side effects. Good reason to be concerned about it. Anytime you invade the body with anything that you're putting in the body, you run a risk of infection. And so if the shots work on a temporary basis, so you're getting them all the time, you don't want that to you don't want that to happen. Uh, often the shots that are done, they're often done by neurosurgeons, they're done by invasive radiologists, because they're usually they're often shots that are going into the area deep in the body where there are nerves that actually affect that. There also are trigger point shots 
that some people put in the back if there's something more superficial, which are much safer? The answer is you want to go to a physician that does many of these because they are the ones that are getting most likely to get it to the spot that may bother you. But if you need them repeatedly, you've got to question whether or not you're going to keep them. If it's once a year, it's one thing. If it's once every month or two, I don't recommend them. Hmm. Next, Claudia from Oak Ridge, Tennessee wrote, I have MS, and I'm wondering why the blood banks can't accept my blood. Well, first of all, the blood banks have their own rules, and they don't want to take blood from anyone who might have something in the blood that that will sort of taint the blood supply. And MS, obviously, is one of the things they're most concerned about. I don't know exactly why, but let me tell you something. They are super conservative, and frankly, that's the way we want to keep our supply in a, in a, a sterile—it's not sterile, it's live, but we want to keep it in as pristine a place as we can possibly do. A listener, Lydia, wrote, I just heard the woman who got acid indigestion from coffee. I also had indigestion from coffee until I started grinding my own beans. Maybe there are additives and preservatives in the pre-ground beans. Oh, a lot of reasons. Maybe additives, preservatives. She might be brewing her coffee differently. Or maybe she feels just so good from the coffee that she's really not paying attention (laughs) to anything else that goes on. Good question. Good idea. Grind your own beans and see whether or not that works. Besides, the coffee tastes better when you grind your own. You do that every morning. Don't you get up and grind your beans and then have your coffee, Tom? Finally, this this from a listener named Alicia. Hi there, Grammar Police Officer here. I was listening to your show today, and you were telling us about the website. I think instead of saying the letters O-R-G, you should just say the words dot org, as it sounds like you are saying Orgy. <laughs> Love your show. <laughs> Zarbapastor.orgy. <laughs> you know what? That's a good one. We've been doing this for a long time, and no one has said that we're having an orgy in Wisconsin Public Radio. (laughs) Thanks to our wonderful listeners for all the Facebook comments. And, of course, you can always send us an old-fashioned email at Zorba at WPR.org. See you next week. See you next, see you next, see you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show or just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web at ZorbaBaster.org and, of course, on Facebook. Don't forget you can call us anytime to leave your question at 800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Da-da-da. Our technical director is Brad Colbert. Da-da-da. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sedra. Da-da-da. For Zorba Pastor, you want to go da-da-da-da? Da-da-da. <laughs> I'm Tom Clark, asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on your health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's healthy living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.